Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we will not forget your word and so that our lives will always be safe in your hands. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we are finishing our series in the book of 2 Samuel and we'll take a break in, uh, after Christmas uh, back to the book of Matthew, which we took a break from uh, earlier this year. And so we've been studying the book of 2 Samuel. I think it's a good time to take a break at the end of what we are looking at today because here we see the end of the civil war that we've been studying since we resumed our studies in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. Uh, where does this fall in the place of Israelite history? What's going on here in 2 Samuel chapter 5? Uh, for those of you who may not have been with us or your minds are a bit sketchy as to where this falls in Israelite history, I think it's good to do a recap. Uh, basically, how the Bible opens with is with the creation of the world. Adam and Eve are created by God, the first parents. From Adam and Eve, you eventually get this man called Abraham. And from Abraham, his descendants become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes end up in the land of Egypt under the slavery of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they're brought out by a man called Moses. Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt into the desert, and then under the leadership of a man called Joshua, uh, the Israelites are brought into the land of Canaan, uh, into the promised land that God promised to them, uh, well, promised to Abraham, and then promised uh, to the Israelites while they were in Egypt. And while they're in the land of Canaan, they have a series of judges who look after them. And the last of those judges is Samuel. And Samuel is given the task of giving Israel their first king. Their first king, whose name is Saul. And Saul turns out to be someone who is disobedient to the Lord in a number of different ways. And so God then tells Samuel to anoint another man, a man called David. And so for a while there, you've got these two kings one called Saul, who's officially on the throne, and David, who's unofficially God's anointed king over Israel. Saul ends up dying uh, at the hands of the Philistines, and then we've had this rival kingdoms going on because the son of uh, Saul, Ishbosheth, is made king by Saul's commander, Abner. And so Ishbosheth is there uh, reigning over Israel, and David, however, is made king officially of the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe that he is from. So you've got 11 tribes that are under Ishbosheth, and then one tribe that is under the, the kingship of David. And so you've got this civil war that then starts to happen where they actually fight with one another. There's a commander of David's army, Joab, and the commander of Abner's, uh, of, uh, of Ishbosheth's army, who is Abner. And then we've started to see things unravel and we start to see that the civil war is going to come to an end. And how does it officially start to come to an end? Well, it's by the death of Abner, the commander of Saul's army. He is put to death by Joab. And then we see also the death of Ishbosheth, uh, the son of Saul. And so then Israel is without a king, the 11 tribes of Israel without a king, and yet David is still reigning in Judah. And this is what we see today is the resolution of this civil war that's taken place where the, the kingdom of Israel was split under two kings and now the Israelites are coming and they make David their king. And we see that in verse 3. It says in verse 3 of chapter 5, when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact, a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. So peace now comes to Israel as they are all united under one king, and that king is David. But why would Israel choose David as their king? Why did the Israelites want David as their king? Why would they want a king at all? 
It's because they had powerful enemies. They had powerful enemies who would hurt them and kill them. This is the reason that the Israelites had originally asked Samuel for a king. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you could read it this afternoon, when the first king is asked for by the Israelites of Samuel, they say, we want a king. And why do they want a king? They said to Samuel, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Why did the Israelites want a king in the first place? Because they were scared of their enemies. They wanted a king who would go out and fight their battles for them. And Israel still had, after many years under the leadership of Saul and then the leadership of Ishbosheth, they still had enemies. They still had people who would damage them, who would harm them, hurt and kill them. They had enemies who were uh, outside. They had foreign enemies. They had the Philistines. You've got other enemies down, of course, Egypt down below. And then you've got uh, to the east, you've got other enemies that they would have had uh, potentially coming over and raiding them. And then, of course, they've got domestic enemies. They've got people within their own kingdom who will harm them. Who am I talking about there? Well, how did their last king die? Ishbosheth. He was murdered by people from Ishbosheth's own tribe, Benjamin. We saw that last time, that these two men, these two assassins, who were Israelites, actually killed their second king. Whereas their first king was killed by Philistines, Saul was killed by the Philistines, their second king, Ishbosheth, was killed by Israelites. They have enemies who will hurt them, who will kill them. And they, of course, as we saw last time, had great fear because of their enemies. And so why then would they come to David? Why would they come to David? Because they're sheep without a shepherd. They recognise that they are in great danger, that they cannot protect themselves, and they need a shepherd to look after them, that they have lions who are out to attack them, and they need a shepherd to protect them from those lions. But why did Israel call on David? Why didn't they go for another king who would protect them from the lions, from their enemies? Well, there's a few reasons given to us in the text why they chose David. And the first reason is given in verse 1. They recognise that David is their own flesh and blood. We read in verse 1, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. They want David because he is part of their own flesh and blood. What's that mean? They recognise that he is part of their same family as them. This is even, the the phrase here is used of Adam, the first parent, when he first met Eve. He recognised that she is part of his flesh and blood, that she was actually taken from him, but now she is united with him, that there's a unity, there's a family bond between them. And that is what the Israelites are picking up on as they say to David, you are our own flesh and blood. They're saying, you are part of our family. And which, which means then, what should David do? He should look after them as family members. He should show love and care for them as he would care for his own body. What do we do with our flesh and blood? We care for it. We look after it. And so if the Israelites are part of David's flesh and blood, then he will show them love and protection, that he will look after them. And that's what David has shown in his past. He's shown a care for the Israelites. If you go back and read through 1 and uh, 2 Samuel, you see again and again that David is concerned for the Israelites. And one of the great ways that we see his concern for the Israelites is by the way that he wouldn't lift up a hand and harm the house of Saul. Even though Saul was willing to harm David, David was never willing to harm the house of Saul. And so when Saul, uh, when an assassin came and said he had killed Saul, what did David do? He executed that assassin. And when people came and said they'd executed, uh, they'd assassinated Ishbosheth, what did 
David do? He showed care and love for the house of Saul by executing those assassins. He has always shown a desire to protect the people of Israel. And you can read through the book of 1 and 2 Samuel and see again and again that he loves the people of Israel and would not want to harm them because they are his flesh and blood. But why else do the Israelites come and want David to be their king? They want him because he is their own flesh and blood and would therefore show love to them. But they also saw that David had great power. We saw this in verse 2. Verse 2, after talking about his flesh and blood, they say, In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. They recognise that, uh, that David is someone who has great power. He was the one who went out and conquered many Philistines. Starting with who? Goliath. You go right back into the book of 1 Samuel and you see David's power and his courage to protect the Israelites by taking down a man who is far bigger than him, who no one else wanted to attack. And then as you hear about his military exploits in 1 Samuel, you see he has power to protect the Israelites from what? From their enemies, which is what they want a king for. They want a king who will love and care for them, but show that protection that of of, their, of, of the people by their power. See, it's one thing to have a king who is loving. But if you've got a king who has no power to act in love, then it doesn't really matter if you've got a king who is loving. You want a king who has love for his people, but also the power to protect his people. And so that's what they're saying here. You're our flesh and blood, and you also have shown that you can protect us in the past in the military campaigns. But why else do they want David to be their king? because he will love them, because he has power to protect them. But also we see a third reason given in verse 2. It says, In the past, while Saul was king over us, and you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns, and the Lord said to you, You will be my shepherd, my, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. Why do they want David to be their king? Because he's God's choice. He's God's choice. They recognise that the Lord chose David to be their king. And what does that then mean? He will come with the blessings of God. That if God wants him to be king, then God will bless the people of Israel through his chosen king. Whereas we saw the people before, who did they have as king? Ishbosheth. And who was Ishbosheth? He was Abner's choice. He wasn't God's choice, he was Abner's choice. And how did that work out for the people of Israel? Not very well at all. They saw that they had danger from their enemies by having someone who is not God's choice. And so what do they want now? They want God's chosen king, so that God's blessings will flow to them as the people of Israel. So Israel had bad news. They had powerful enemies. But they also had good news, that there was a powerful shepherd in David who had the love and the power and the blessing of God to save them from their enemies. Now, how is this helpful for us today? As we are so many years removed from this, geographically, we're far removed from the land of Israel, and even genetically, we're probably far removed from the people of Israel in many ways as well, although we stem back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, as well. What is the relevance for us today? Well, we too have powerful enemies. We too have powerful enemies. Who are our powerful enemies? Well, we have our own sinful flesh that is a part of us. We have the devil, and we have the world. And what do these enemies want to do to us? They want to bring pain and death and much suffering. They are dangerous enemies. Our own flesh is out against us. 
The devil is against us and the world is against us to bring us pain and death. What are we like? We're like powerless sheep, like those Israelites so many years ago. They felt their weakness as sheep without a powerful shepherd because we have powerful lions in our lives and we need help with them. We need saving. We need a powerful shepherd to help us with our powerful enemies. And so what should we look for in a shepherd, a king? The same things as Israel Israel looked for in David. We should look for someone who has love for us, who treats us as his own flesh and blood. We want someone who has power then to love us, to not just love us, but to actually act in love for us. And we want someone who is God's choice. Why? Because then the blessings of God will come to us if we have the king that he has chosen, the shepherd that he has chosen for us. Now, who would fit such qualifications? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ does. How is Jesus Christ a king like David of so many years ago for us today? Well, he shares our flesh and blood. The Israelites came and said, we want you, David, because you are our flesh and blood. And Jesus, thankfully, shares our blood too, our flesh and blood too. How does he share our flesh and blood? Well, at least in two, two ways. Of course, he is fully human. He shared our flesh and blood. He is fully human. We should never think that Jesus was like a human being. No, he was fully human and is still fully human today. And how else is Jesus our flesh and blood? How is he united to us as family? He actually considers us to be his body. He considers his people to be his body. When he cares for us, he's caring for us as his body. His spirit lives in us. The spirit of Christ lives in us, dwells in us. And so he counts us as part of him. It's a teaching that is taught again and again in the New Testament, that we are the body of Christ. We are his flesh and blood, so to speak. And so therefore, Jesus is one who will love us as one caring for his own body. And what else does we understand about Jesus? Why should Jesus be our king like David? Because he has the power to fight our enemies. He has the power to love us as he intends to love us. How do we know that he has great power? Jesus is the son of God. Fully human, but also the son of God. He is fully God. Therefore, his power is greater than any other king who has ever been on the face of this earth. And he can even raise the dead. If we want to understand his power, we can see in the New Testament his power shown in the resurrection that he brings about certain people that he raises, his friends, people he's concerned about, but his own self. He raised it. We saw that in John chapter 10. He says, I have power to lay down my life and take it up again. Jesus has great power to be the shepherd of his people. And of course, what else do we understand about Jesus, why he is qualified to be the shepherd of his people? He has love for his own flesh and blood. He has power to save. We also understand that he is God's choice. He is God's choice to be king. Just like David was God's choice to be king over the Israelites so many years ago, we understand that Jesus is God's choice. You read the New Testament and you see again and again that Jesus says that he was sent by God. He was sent by God the Father from heaven to be king. And so therefore, what does that mean? The blessings of God flow through Jesus to his sheep. If he is shepherd of the sheep, then the blessings of God come to him. And what is the best evidence then that we see that Jesus is the shepherd, the king that we desperately need with powerful enemies out to devour us? Well, it's the cross. 
The cross is the best way to see all these attributes that we, we, we see in David magnified even more or shown all the greater in Jesus Christ. Why? Well, at the cross, we see that in John's gospel, the passage that we read before, John chapter 10, verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. His act of laying down his life shows his power and his love and God's choice of what his king should do. At the cross, we see Christ's love for his people in taking the punishment that they deserve. We see God's power in successfully, uh, Christ's power in successfully conquering all our enemies single-handedly. And we see, of course, that he is God's choice of king as he is sustained on the cross and endures the torment that his sheep deserve. And then, of course, his resurrection that comes after his death. We see at the cross, we see at the cross, the qualification for Jesus to be the shepherd of his people, his love, his power, and the blessings of God that come through him, that he is God's choice. So what should we do in light of this? What should we do in light of 2 Samuel chapter 5 and seeing Israel come and have David as their king to protect them from their powerful enemies? What should we do as we understand how powerful our enemies are, how much death and destruction is intended by our enemies for us? What should we do? Well, we should have Jesus as our shepherd. We should have Jesus as our king. We should recognise that we're helpless sheep and we need a shepherd. And we should recognise that Jesus is the one who can protect us. And how do we do that? How do we have him as our shepherd? Well, we need to go to him in prayer. How do we pray to him? Well, we simply come to him in prayer, in our minds, and we ask him to be our king. We ask him to be our shepherd. We admit that we are sheep without a shepherd and we need a shepherd and ask him to be our shepherd, that we trust in him and we pray to him that he would be our shepherd. And wonderfully, he adopts into his flock all those who come and call upon him, just like the Israelites came and called upon David so many years ago and David welcomed them into his flock. Jesus does the same. Wonderful verse quoted from Isaiah, but in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you call on Jesus, you will be saved from your enemies. So the question this morning for you is, have you called on the Good Shepherd? Have you bleated to him in all your helplessness, in the face of all your horrible enemies of your own flesh, the world and Satan himself? Have you bleated to Jesus? and asked him for help. If you've never done that, why haven't you done that? Why haven't you called upon Jesus to be your shepherd? A few reasons why people don't do it. Maybe they're one of the reasons that you haven't called to Jesus this morning or in the past. Maybe it's because you don't see any enemies at all. I talk about the enemies that we all face, of sin, the sinful flesh, Satan and the world, and yet you don't see them. You say, I'm not a sinner. I don't have sinful flesh. You say, Satan doesn't exist. And you say, the world, the people around me, they're essentially good. Yeah, they may have a few problems. But humanity, essentially good. And so you don't see the enemy. You don't see the power of the enemies that we have. And what are such people like? If they don't see the enemies that are there, they're like lambs going to the slaughter. They're like lambs frisking into the mouths of lions, not recognising that they're in great danger. 
And why else might people not call upon Jesus? Well, they don't see their enemies at all, or maybe they don't see the power of their enemies. They're too proud to admit that they themselves are powerless sheep. They think, yes, there's some enemies out there, but I can handle them. And what does that then mean? They're like sheep trying to act like lions. And what happens to sheep that try to act like lions with lions? The lions destroy those senseless sheep. Is that the reason you haven't called on Jesus as your shepherd? You don't recognise the enemy. And so therefore, there's no need to come to a shepherd and ask for help. There's one reason why people don't come to Jesus and ask him to be their shepherd, because they don't know their enemies. Maybe they don't think the enemy exists at all, or they think that they're strong enough to overcome the enemies. The enemies are essentially weak, and so they don't need a shepherd. What's the other reason that people don't call on Jesus? Well, they don't see the power of Jesus. They don't see the power of their enemies, or maybe they don't see the power of Jesus himself to save them from their enemies. They may see their weakness as a sheep, yes, and that they have danger around them, but they go to the wrong shepherd. They go to the wrong shepherd. Why? Because there's many false shepherds available to them. There's many false shepherds available to them who look loving, who look powerful, who may even look like God's choice and set themselves up as God's choice in some sort of cult or some other religion. And so sheep go to these false shepherds. In their danger, they go to those false shepherds and seek help from them. But what happens to sheep who turn to false shepherds, to shepherds who aren't loving, who do not have the power to save them? Well, the false shepherd will run away. We saw that in John chapter 10. He talks about the thieves and robbers and the the hired hand who runs away. That's what happens. When people trust in such a shepherd, they find that that shepherd is not loving and is not powerful. And then what happens to sheep who have been looking to such a shepherd? They are harmed and hurt and die for all eternity in hell. Whereas Jesus is the only shepherd who has the love and the power and God's blessing to truly save the sheep that come to him. So why haven't you called upon Jesus to be your shepherd? Is it because you don't see the danger of the enemy? Is it because you don't see the power of Jesus to save? If that is you, don't be a foolish sheep. Bleat in your helplessness to Jesus and ask him to be your shepherd today. Be like the Israelites who went to David so many years ago and asked for help from God's chosen shepherd with power and love for his people. Do it now. Trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins by his work at the cross so that you're saved from your sin, you're saved from Satan, and you're saved from the world. And if you have Jesus as your shepherd, what should you do? What should we do who who have come to Jesus and asked him in prayer to be their shepherd, to be our shepherd? What should we do? We should continue to bleat to Jesus. We don't pray to Jesus once and then frisk away. We continue to come to the shepherd and bleat to him. Why? Because we continue to need help. 
We continue to need help. We are helpless sheep and we need the shepherd to continue to look after us. Why? Because we have powerful enemies. We still have powerful lions that are out there trying to attack us. Our sinful flesh is still with us. The evil one himself is still around and the world is still out to harm us. While we're in this world, we still have powerful enemies. And so we need the help of Jesus. Yes, Jesus has delivered a death blow to the lions in our lives at the cross. Yes, he has hurt Satan. Yes, he has hurt the world and he has hurt our sinful flesh. He has dealt the fatal blow to them. But our enemies still thrash around. They still thrash around as they die, bringing temptation and pain into our lives. And so we need help. We need help. We need to keep bleating to Jesus. Why? Because he's still the only shepherd who can help us. We need to bleat to him. Help me with my sin. Help me to stop doing wrong. Help me to keep doing right. And we also need to bleat to him about the effects of sin, the pain of sin. We bleat to him about the power of sin in our lives, but also about the pain of sin. We can bleat to him about the pain and suffering we feel in this world and ask for him to remove it from us as the good shepherd who loves us and has the power to do so and the blessing of God. That's what we need to do as his sheep. But sadly, we often don't bleat to him as we should. We are his sheep, but we don't bleat to him. We don't come to him in prayer as we should. Why not? Well, it's the same reasons people don't go to him at all in the first place. What were those reasons? Well, firstly, it was that they didn't understand the power of their enemies. They didn't understand the power of the enemies. They didn't understand the power of the lions. They, didn't, they may not have thought the lions existed or that they were able to overcome the power of their lions themselves. And the second reason was that they didn't understand the power of Jesus to save. And it's the same for us as Christians, sadly. We who believe in Jesus and are following him as our shepherd, we often don't see ourselves as powerless sheep. It's a humbling thing to recognise you need help. And so we don't bleat to Jesus for the help that we need. We don't see the danger of this enemy and then we don't see the power of Jesus to help us. And so we don't bleat to him. We think we've got our lions sorted and we therefore don't bleat to him. But what happens? Well, we as Christ's lambs, we fall into the hands of the enemy. We fall into the hands of the enemy. We're like lambs frisking into the mouths of wounded lions. Yes, the enemy no longer rules over us that they, as they used to, but they still do damage to us. As we don't call upon the shepherd, then we fall into sin. As we don't call upon the shepherd, we fall into the pain that comes with sin and the suffering that comes. And so we're like lambs frisking into the mouths of wounded lions when we should be praying to the shepherd to protect us. Now, how would we be motivated to pray more to Jesus? How would we be motivated to pray to the shepherd? Well, one of the great remedies for this is to look at the cross, to look at the cross of Christ. Why? Because at the cross we see the lion's hate and power. You see the damage that is done by sin when you look at the cross. You see that enemies are real and the damage that enemies do is real by the way that the Son of God is being destroyed there at the cross. But you also see the power of Jesus, the shepherd. You see the power of the enemy, but you also see the power of the shepherd. And so then, as you meditate upon the, the damage that sin does, as you look at the cross, you also see the healing and protection that comes 
from the shepherd as you look at the cross. And so what then you, would you do? You will bleat to Jesus in prayer and ask for his help. How will you do that? Well, you do it privately. You'll come to Jesus in, as a shepherd and bleat to him, asking him to break the power of sin in your life and to take away the pain of sin. But how else will you pray? You'll pray corporately, bleating as a group to the shepherd for help with others. How did the Israelites come to David? Did they come one by one? No, they came as a group. We saw that in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. You can read a, a, another account of this in 1 Chronicles as well, and the sheer number of people that came to, uh, to David in Hebron. They came as a group, as a flock, bleating to David to be their shepherd. And it's the same for us today as well. How do we do this? Well, we come with a local church. This is the benefit of a local church. It's a group of God's sheep together, and we can bleat together to the shepherd to ask for help with the enemies that are so powerful. When do we do this? Well, we can do it at prayer meetings. The prayer meetings of this church are places where you can come with God's people and bleat to the shepherd for help. That's why we have the prayer meetings, is so that God's people can come with their fears of the enemy and their needs and bleat as a chorus of sheep to the shepherd and ask for help. Personally, this is why I love going to prayer meetings. I love going to prayer meetings so that others will bleat with me to the shepherd and ask for his help with my needs, the lines that are in my life. That's why we have the prayer meeting before this service, and welcome to come at 9.45 and we bleat to the, to the shepherd and ask for his help for the preaching of his word and for the dangers that are here that, uh, from the enemies, that the sinful flesh, the world, the devil who does not want his word to be proclaimed. We come as a chorus of sheep to the shepherd and ask for his help. And of course the evening prayer service is when we do it as well. Again, I love going to the prayer meetings and outlining all the concerns that I have and then hearing the other sheep bleat to the shepherd about those matters as well. So we come in unison to the shepherd for help. And of course, what's another way that we can, we can embrace, we can uh, pray to the shepherd for help? It's coming with the other sheep, but also coming with the elders of the local church. It's interesting how it is described here as to how the Israelites came and made uh, David their shepherd. We read in verse 1, all the tribes of Israel came to David. But what do we read in verse 3? It says, when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. The elders, the representatives of the tribes of Israel, came to David and asked him to be the king of the other Israelites on their behalf. And it's the same today. Local churches have elders who can bleat to the shepherd on behalf of the sheep. Why did the apostles want deacons? If you look at the early church, when deacons were first formed in Acts chapter 6, why did the apostles say, we need deacons? They said in Acts chapter 6 that they wanted deacons, they wanted to hand over ministry of making sure that everybody had enough food. Why? so they could give attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
They saw they had two jobs. One was to minister the word to God's people, but the other job, which was before, we may, I don't know whether it's in order or priority there, the first thing they said was, we need to pray. We need to pray for the people of God. They saw their job as apostles was to pray and to minister the word. And it's the same for elders today. You have elders given to you by the chief shepherd, these under shepherds, to pray on your behalf, to bleat to the shepherd on your behalf about your lions. And so you should let your elders know about the dangers you're facing, the concerns that you have, the power of sin in your life, the power of the world over you, the pain and suffering of sin. You can let them know and they can then bleat to the shepherd on your behalf. Personally, I love giving the elders the dangers that I'm facing with different enemies. I can message the elders and ask them to pray so that they bleat to the shepherd on my behalf and so that we get help from the shepherd that we so desperately need. And of course, you can do this yourself. You can message the elders and ask them to pray. I invite prayer points when I do pastoral visits with you. And I sometimes pass those on to the other elders so that they would pray too. But another way that you can bleat corporately as a flock is, of course, embracing the pastoral prayer on a Sunday morning. This service isn't just one big sermon. It's a time where we also see the responsibility of the elders of prayer and the ministry of the word as well. What's the purpose of the pastoral prayer on Sunday mornings? Is it for you to have a little bit of a nap before we get into the meat of the service? You get to close your eyes? No, it's an important part of the ministry of the elders of this church, the pastoral prayer. The pastoral prayer is to lead the sheep in bleating to the shepherd about the lions that we face. As we come as a group and bleat to the shepherd, we need help. The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, understood the importance of pastoral prayer. He's known for his preaching, but what did Spurgeon say? He called the pastoral prayer on, on Sundays, he called it the holiest, sweetest, and most profitable exercise which my Lord has allotted to me. If I may have my choice, I will sooner yield up the sermon than the prayer. And he was known for it. He would, he would let other people preach in his pulpit, but he rarely would let other people pray in his pulpit. If he was there on a Sunday morning and there was another preacher, that preacher would preach, but he would get up and do the pastoral prayer. He may have been uh, off that week in some sense from the preaching of God's word, but he never saw himself as off from the pastoral prayer. If he was present there, if he was away on holidays, of course, he wouldn't be doing the pastoral prayer. Another elder would do it, but he would administer the pastoral prayer. Why? Because he saw it as his responsibility to bleat on behalf of the sheep about their enemies so that they would have protection from the shepherd from their enemies. So we must never think our elders are simply there to teach. They're there to bleat for us as well. And we must embrace opportunities to bleat with the elders of the church as they come to the shepherd and ask for help. So let us be like Israel and see the power of our enemies, but also see the power and the love of God's chosen shepherd. Like Israel, we have bad news. There are enemies out and about. But we also have good news that a powerful shepherd lives in Jesus. So let us meditate upon the cross, meditating upon the cross so that we see the power of the lions, but we also see the power of the shepherd and the love and care that he has for his sheep. And as a result, let us bleat to the shepherd. Let us bleat to the shepherd for help, privately, but also as a group with our elders. Why? 
so that we, by the Holy Spirit's power, can know the joy and relief that the Israelites had so many years ago with David. They came with all their anxiety, their alarm, their concerns about their enemies, and they found relief in having David welcome them and make a covenant with them and say, yes, I will be your shepherd. And that's that same relief and joy that we can have today as well. We can know that joy and relief as well as we look to the shepherd. We can know that we are safe in his loving and powerful arms with the blessing of God and so that the lions will not harm us. The dangers that we face from the flesh, from the world and from Satan himself ultimately will not harm us because we are in the shepherd's arms. Let's come to the shepherd now and pray to him. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the king, as God's chosen good shepherd. You are our flesh and blood, our powerful king. And we thank you for fighting our enemies for us with your love and your power at the cross so many years ago. For, Lord, we confess that we were too weak to save ourselves from our sin, from Satan, and from the world. So, Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us, but we ask that you would continue to help us. We recognise that we are sheep, and we are so helpless, but you are so powerful. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the power of our enemies and the power of yourself and call upon you in prayer for help. Do it privately, but also do it corporately. Do it with the other sheep that you have given around us. Do it with the elders that you have placed around us as well. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who does not have you as their shepherd, may they see the deadly power of their enemies and call upon you. May they see the power of yourself at the cross, the power of their enemies, but also the power of yourself at the cross, and call upon you now for protection that you alone can give. And we pray this in your name. Amen.